What's the story with this client? I couldn't tell you. You don't remember, huh? I don't remember. I don't remember in the slightest. It was signed by uh, John Avery, Madge Enterprises Incorporated. Okay, I, I recognize that name. All right, that's okay. Let's let's move on. How about this one? How to master the art and science of writing killer ads in sales letters. Now, I know this is for your ad magic. You had mentioned earlier that you wrote three or four different versions of your ad magic sales letter. That's right. Did you figure out which one pulled best? Uh-huh, yeah. The one you've got in front of you, I, I'm pretty sure, was the first letter. And it made money, and it did all right. But I just kept tweaking and refining and... You know, ultimately, I ended up with a really great sales letter. And that's just kind of what you got to do, you know, if, you, if you're serious about making it profitable. And back then, you know, all there was was direct mail. Can you remember the difference in the results from your first letter to the time you revised it four times? I think that letter you're looking at there, Michael, was, I think it pulled in $6.52. For every dollar invested. And then the last one you had mentioned earlier pulled in, what was it, $17? Yeah, 17 average. I mean, it, you know, it, it hit up to 36 as low as about 12 or so. And were, were you still testing this letter out to the same Phillips list? Uh-huh. When you're testing against a control herd that you only want to change one element at a time, what's your philosophy on that? Well, that's great. You know, you can do that, but I didn't do that. I rewrote the letter all four times. You know, there were minor tweaks on the last letter. Now, that may be where some really refined testing comes in, because what I did is I changed the opening page. Those, that's pretty much all the tweaking I did on that final letter. So... If you've got a control that's working, it's dangerous to do what I did. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous to just come up with it. I wouldn't say it was entirely new because I, I guarantee I used the same bullets. I used different elements of each letter in the other letter. It is dangerous to just flat out come out with a new opening, a new letter. But that was a risk I was willing to take. It was a calculated, educated risk. I wasn't being... I knew what I was doing. And you've heard how one headline being the only change in a sales letter can make a difference five, ten times in the results. Would you agree with that? And if you do agree with it, can you reference any kind of personal examples from your experience as a copywriter? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, first of all, yes, the answer is absolutely unequivocal. I mean, you, there's no question about it. A headline can change the results on a massive scale. One example that comes to mind, a story that just keeps bouncing in my head, Terry Dean hired me. He's a, a big, or he was certainly, if not still, a, a big internet guy. He paid me to, to work for him for a year. He told me the story how he had written this letter. He bought John Carlton's wonderful course, and he sent it to John, and all John did was change the headline. Terry said just that change in the headline was like a 1,300% increase in response, and that's all John did for the critique. And Terry was like a little disappointed <laughs> that that's all the critique was at first, 
then he said, okay, hey, I trust this guy. I'm going to go with it. That's the way, what he told me to do, and i got to trust his professional advice. So he did, and the res- results were just staggering. I want to ask you two things. You mentioned that he had paid you to work with you for a whole year. Is that something that you offer to clients, to work with you for an entire year, and how does that work? Yeah, that that is an option, and I charge $45,000, and really that, that just gets you essentially all the copy that you and I determine that you need for a full 12 months. So it's 45000 plus 5% of the gross receipts that come in from my copywriting. And the gross receipts can work against the 45000 Okay, so for example, let's say I wanted to hire you for a year. We would predetermine what you're going to do for me within the year, what projects up front, right? Yeah, and, and things are going to happen. Other things are going to unfold. Like, for example, I had another gentleman who did this. His arena was the stock market. And mm-hmm. So that's the arena I was working with him in. And he came up with this new divorce product. And he said, hey, can we include this as part of the deal? And they said, no, because that's a whole new project for me. That's a whole new level of research. That's a whole new level of figuring out what's going on in that marketplace. So it has to be related to it. Other than saying you get up to 10 sales letters, there's no real limit. I give people up to 10 sales letters. A sales letter can be 36 pages. It can be, (laughs) that's a lot of work, in other words. So, you know, it's a seal of a deal, you know, considering really we're just barely doubling my fees, you know, my normal fees, 24500 For one project. Yeah, for a project. Now, that's not just one letter. You know, that would be any lead generation we had to do, a sales letter, a follow-up letter, a second, third, fourth follow-up letter. You know, it's the whole shebang. Whatever the client and I determine that they need, they get. How much time do you spend on just the headline for a letter? Well, I like to brag about how many gigabytes of headlines I have on my computer, Michael. How many? I, I spend forever on headlines, and I write, and I write, and I write. I save them, too. I may do some cutting of a few, but until the creative process has stopped, when I get in the zone on writing headlines, I can go for two, three, four hours straight. And the typical headline session for me will end up with three, four hundred headlines. Just for one project. Yeah, just for one project. What I try to teach people is that you have to push yourself because so many people settle for that. I don't even think most people write a dozen, maybe 20. I think 20 is probably the most people ever sit down and write. But I just see people settling for headlines that are wimpy and gutless and they lack any sort of passion or empathy for the prospect and what happens is by pushing yourself like that you'll find that headline number three combines with headline number 94 and then you take the tagline the end of number 253 and that's your headline so those last hundred headlines are actually almost always 
little bits and pieces of the previous 200 that I've already written. You see what I mean? 95% of the time I just do it all on the computer. But there are times when I'll start to get lost and start to feel confused. And so this is just a little technique that I do. I think it equates to Gary Halbert's index cards that he mm -hmm. loves to do, spread them out on the table. Well, what I do is I'll, I'll print them out on my laser printer and I'll end up with 30, 40 pages. And then I will literally cut and paste with scissors. And I will cut and paste. And what it does is it sort of takes, takes me out of this virtual mindset of these things virtually existing on the computer. I love the tactileness of the paper and the cutting and the sound and the, and the taping and the, I, it just puts me into a whole different side of my creative mind. It's almost like my right brain has a left and right brain to it. Have you read the Eugene Schwartz Phillips publishing speech? Yes, yes, into it as well. Okay, so it's very similar what he talks about when Mozart was composing. Remember that part? No, I don't. Okay, he talked about how Mozart, when Mozart would compose his music, he would only write at one time. And he said there's a very realistic uh, uh, movie called Amadeus, which is a real um, realistic count of how Mozart composed. And when he composed, he composed at a billiard table. And he took the uh, billiard ball, and he's standing at the front of the table, and he had his music sheet and an inkwell and a pen in the other hand. And he would throw the billiard ball down against the pool table, and of course it would bounce back different every time. And that left hand would have to pay attention to where the billiard ball would come so he would catch it and every time he did that a note of the music would slip into the back of his mind and he would write it down and this is exactly what you're talking about when you're creating headlines you're focused in on a task but at the same time it allows your subconscious to open up and for ideas yeah. to slip through okay wonderful is that wild so cool. you got to re-listen to that. i got to watch that movie, too. I'm a musician, so I would love that. Now, are you taping them onto index cards? No, no, I'm just cutting them. Maybe I'll like a phrase out of one, but I don't like the rest of the headline. Mm -hmm. So I'll just cut that phrase and set it aside. I mean, I'm, I'm literally just cutting the paste into the different headlines, and then I'll take the headlines and take snippets of them and paste them together. How do you boil it down to the one or two or three headlines that you're going to put on this client's copy? Oh, uh, you know, that is such an intuitive thing. I don't know. Some of them are just obvious. They're mm. just, some of them are actually nonsensical. Sometimes I'll just I'll start out by typing the big fat lady decided to buy my product and that's my first headline mm -hmm. and it makes me chuckle a little and I'll say the zit popping teenager decided not to buy this product you know and when I say this product I spell it out and it just kind of just to get me going so num some of them are nonsensical some of them are your, just your you know they laughed when I sat down at the piano mm -hmm. you know they laughed when I said I was going to blah 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 if I'm having a really hard time starting, I have this little killer headline checklist that I go through. And it's got lots of examples in it. Mm -hmm. I'll just take those examples and apply them to the business that I'm writing for. And that just kind of gets me flowing. That just kind of gets me going. But those are the first to go. Their purpose was to get the creative juices flowing. So they weren't part of it. 
so that's kind of the first level of let's get rid of those. And then the second level are the dispassionate ones, I guess you could say. They're the ones that really don't tend to make any kind of connection. They may say the benefit, they may not. But th those would be the next ones to go. Michael, other than that, I think putting it into words is practically impossible. Here's another letter. Tell me if you remember this one. Mail order business in a box. How you can easily earn $6,408 in the next 30 days with this turnkey mail order business. Michael Kimball. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I don't remember uh, anything about the results, but I remember that Michael mailed that for a long time. And he may still mail it. Looks like a, uh, Michael Kimball bought the rights to all of Bill Myers products. Bill Myers started Group M, then Pat McAllister bought it from Bill Myers, and then Michael bought Group M from Patrick McAllister. And so, and at this day, Michael still has it, and he, he does really well with it. I'm gonna say it was mid to late 90s, uh, I was writing all of Michael's, the Group M copies. Mm -hmm. And I know he still mails some of it, or portions of it today. He's, he's done really well. Oh, here's another Group M one. The easiest way in the world for you to cash in on the exploding CD-ROM market without touching a computer. <laughs> Man, I gotta get a copy of that book. Sounds like there's some hot copy in there. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of client was he? Would he pay you on a per project basis? Or as I recall, yeah, we we kind of did it like that. And I think for a while he did a, uh, like a monthly deal with me. And I never did do a uh, percentage deal with Michael. You know, we talked about this uh, earlier. I'm just a way too nice of a business person to be managing my own affairs. You know, I, I should have. I really should have. But that's okay. You know, I'm, hey, I've, I've learned and grown from, from all of my experience. And all you can do is your best point in time given the resources you have. And to do that, you're, you're doing great. All right, here's another one. See, see if this jogs your memory. This is from 1995. In this letter, I'll show you how to protect yourself, your family, and your estate from the thieves, sharks, and government bureaucrats who want a healthy slice of your money, your real estate, and any other assets. Wow, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I'll show you how to set up a bulletproof living trust, perfectly legal, so that you can control your estate while you are living, and only your loved ones get it should you die. This was from Warren Stafford. Oh, yeah, Warren Stafford. Stafford Living Trust Protection Society. I remember we talked earlier, and this is almost like, it's not the dark, well, it kind of may be the dark side of a copywriter's life, is you told me a lot of your clients will spend and invest a lot of money with you, and you'll put together the copy and the promotions for their pieces, and they'll never do anything with that. Right. What percent from your, your work? never end up doing anything but the work you've done. And why do you think that is? I would probably say 50%. I really think uh, that's, that's accurate. And does it frustrate you? Oh, yeah. It's, it's discouraging to want to even uh, take another client. I mean, to this day, and you, you've probably heard Gary Howard say, oh, clients suck, you know, a thousand times, and I... 
can't say I really agree with him. Totally. I mean, not every client sucks, but a good majority of them, they do. Because they don't do, they don't keep their end of their, the agreement. Not just financially, but I'm, I'm talking just in, a, in other ways, you know. If your income's based and relies on a guy doing the mailing in order for you to really get your share of, of what you want, which is the percentage, and then they just don't mail, well, guess what? You know, the, the pittance they pay to hire me, that's why my fee has gone up, because people hire me, they don't mail. I figure, okay, well, if they're not, if they're not using what they pay me for, they must not be paying enough. <laughs> no, exactly. Because yeah. when you do work, you're counting on most of your money is going to come from the results of your copy. And those results are only going to come if they mail. Right. I figure by raising the fee, I'm going to get a more serious player, someone who really does mail. Do you work that now into your agreement to try and, and get them to follow through? Is there any kind of thing in your agreements? Or now that you're, you only want to work with serious people, you know, what would you say to them? before you took them as a client to make sure that or give yourself the best possibility that that is going to happen so you can get your percentage basically what I would do is I would want to see other mailers that they've done the numbers have been mailed or and a lot of my clients are web based now I want to see a website that's making money I don't care if they've mailed or not, if they're web-based, I just want to know that they've got a site and the site is making money. If they've got if they've got a site that's making money, then they know what they're doing and they're going to use the copy. That's one thing with uh, the internet clients, Michael. They they tend to, to use the copy a little bit more than back in the 90s when I would get people who would hire me and then never even mail. <laughs> There's such a gold mine that people are missing out on by not taking things offline. So that's one of the first things I tell in a new internet client is I'll say, get offline, take it offline, go rent a list, mm -hmm. you know, go do a mailing. I mean, let's take this web copy and let's turn it into a sales letter. It's easily done. You know, most of the people get mad at me. And they say, are you kidding? That's, that's crazy. I got a cash cow here. I said, exactly. <laughs> you do have cash cow, and it could be so much easier, you wouldn't believe it. You know, so now I got this stock client, but we are taking things offline. It's really, really cool. It's really cool. We're doing postcards. You know, he didn't want to do the whole full sales letter thing. Well, actually, we did. That's what we started with. What's he selling? A stock horse? A stock trading system. And he had 16,000 prospects sitting in a database who had responded to the Investors Business Daily ad. They're all just sitting there. And it, it was like if they didn't buy from the initial process, he didn't, he didn't want to sell them. So he ran an ad in Investors Business Daily? Yeah. Did it direct them to online? Yeah, and it took them online where they got a, a CD mailed to them. Mm -hmm. So it did take them offline a little there. They would mail the CD, and then people would either call him by or he just never got in touch with them again. I said, okay, well, that's your gold mine. That's the first thing we do. That's the first thing we do. We mail to those 
15,000 people. So anyway, my point was, we started mailing, and uh, we just kicked butt. What, what kind of ad was run in the Investor Business Daily? A display or classified or what? It's a display ad. It runs uh, every week. And what, what's the purpose of that ad? What does it say, basically? Uh, it says, a magic little-known piece of news that practically guarantees a stock is going to run up. And then it goes on to, and just does a little description. And then it says, you can find out more about this at this free website. It tells you all the information you need to know. And it does. It really does deliver and educate them. And they go there, and what happens then is they call and they request a free audio seminar CD. They call from a number on the website? Uh, yeah, that's right. There's no form to fill out where the names are taken automatically? Right. right. No form. <laughs> so it's just a letter and then a phone number for them to call to get their free CD. How, is it a long letter? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's fairly, fairly lengthy. You bet. Then they called for their CD. CD was sent out. And now you're are you mailing that same letter that was on the site in hard copy to him? Uh, he wasn't at the time, but uh, I I suggested that we do that. But see, what happened is we he had those sixteen thousand names, and I said, well, that's that's great. The lead the lead campaign is going great. The ad is pulling like like gangbusters. So that's great, but you've got 16,000 leads in here from his own ad that he's written. That's your goal, moment. All we got to do is mail them because he hadn't done any follow-up with them. I wrote a little cover letter, and I reworked his website sales letter, turned it into a sales letter, and it just kicked butt. Dang it, the numbers are just eluding me today. That's okay. Uh, but... And it's not a pretty sight. Okay. It's not pretty at all. That's what's so crazy about it. <laughs> Do you think there's some psychology to that, having a sight that's not pretty compared to pretty? Um, I do. I like it. I think it's awesome. I think it's just... It's, uh... No, so what was on the CD? Was this just um, audio? It was just a, a seminar that he did in Park City, and it delivered value. But it also closed them on getting this system. And we got we got some great positioning with it, too. We just did great with that. But he got tired. He got tired of mailing. It was such a pain in the butt to mail. And I said, well, let's get a mailing house to do it. And he says, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just tired of mailing. It's a pain in the butt, you know, basically is what he's saying. And that's why clients suck. <laughs> well, this is probably the the funnest, most enjoyable client I've had. What he's just saying to you, though, is, Brian, I'm tired of uh, making you money. Yeah, in a way, and it's really discouraging because that's a gold mine. We ended up mailing only, what, 12,000 names. Mm-hmm. And see, I was ready to mail and mail and mail again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12 times, just like you did with Ad Magic. Yeah, you just keep mailing until you're, you get a response that drops below break even. That just makes sense, right? Well, if he's tired, why don't you buy the damn thing from him? Why don't you say, look, if you're tired of mailing, did this work for you because I'm hoping to get a percentage on your sales. And if you're tired of mailing, I'm not tired of mailing. Let me do all the mailing and let's work something out. And you don't have to deal with any of the hassles. Hey, that's a great idea. I mean, approach him. Let me do it. Pay me X percent. Just, you know, make him an offer. Yeah, maybe I will. Yeah, you should.
an idea for you, just think about this. In your agreement, what you can do is, because so many clients are like this, let's say you're doing a copywriting job. You could say that until the conditions are met, that we both own the rights to the copy. Let's say a client pays you. Who's the copyright holder? He is, right? Yeah, work for hire. I mean, it may be something you can consider to put some leverage on them following through is in the agreement. The agreement is you're going to hire me for my services. I'm going to write the copy. We're going to share the rights to this copy until and if you follow through. So let's say the guy never follows through with the mailing. You could work something in where you have the rights to use that to recoup what you would have missed out because he never mailed it. Yeah, that's brilliant. By you holding those rights, you've got some real leverage, but the rights revert back to him as soon as he's met all the conditions of the agreement or the contract. That's wonderful. Yeah, you should do something like that. If I do consulting with clients, for instance, let's say I don't get all their money up front, and let's say I design a website. Well, I go ahead and register the domain in my name. The autoresponders are all under my control, where I control all the leads. If I'm getting a percentage of the sales, uh-huh. all that's in my control until they're paid up, and then that all goes over to them once they've agreed to pay everything. So I have total control of all the leads that come in, the website. They have no control. I own the system. Wow. I mean, it is your intellectual property until they fulfilled their part of the contract. You should retain those rights, and that'll really give you some leverage. Because if they don't mail, you could use the like you know this guy who's tired of making you money. He doesn't want to mail to those twelve thousand people. You know, you could even make that as part of the agreement. Just model it for each client, saying, "Look, if you're not willing to mail it X amount of times to this twelve thousand, I reserve the right." to recoup what I would have mailed if you mail it, and I reserve the rights to mail it five times to your list, and you pay me X amount. That's great. Here's one. 1994 was a year of surprise for most investors. Interest rates were raised six times, making it harder and harder to know what to invest in when buy-sell signs are getting more difficult to interpret. But now here's a proven method for knowing when to buy or sell and how to protect your investment in these uncertain times. This is... So I wrote a stock system before. <laughs> John McGee, Incorporated. Oh, okay. Yeah, they wrote the Bible on technical analysis. I'm, I'm really familiar with stock trading now because I've been trading the market since 98. So I'm like way into it now. Yeah, the, McGee, that's like... Geez, those guys wrote the Bible seriously on uh, technical analysis. I can't believe I wrote them. Do you know if they mailed offline their their thing or? Um, yeah, they did. They they went on the internet. Yeah, I know they mailed that. I know they did good with it. I it was it was a really tough one for me because I didn't know a thing about the stock market. I didn't know anything at all about the stock market. So that was really, really difficult. So let's talk about that. A client comes to you. He's got something that you know nothing about, and you take on the job. Well, what do you do? You have to research. You have to do your best to get to know what they are, who they are, who they're selling to, all that stuff. Let's say uh, I come to you with a subject that you know nothing about. And I want to hire you. I've decided I want to use you to write my offline copy. What's the first thing you're going to do in this whole process? Let's say I go, I'm ready to go. What do I need to do? 
first? What are you going to tell me? I'm going to ask some very basic questions. What's the name of your product? i got to pay you money first, right? Yeah. i got to sign an agreement with you, right? Right. You're going to determine whether I'm worthy of your services first. You're going to set an interview up? Yes, exactly. You're going to record the call? That's right. Okay, so what are you going to do first with me? Then we're, we're recording the call, and you're going to ask me... I'm going to ask some very, very basic... And then I'm going to, uh, you know, what's the price point, what are the payment options, uh, what's the product called or service called, you know, things like that. And then if they have a sales crew, a lot of my clients do, I'll want to interview their top sales guy. And then maybe I'll want to interview their next top sales guy. And I'll certainly want to interview the guy that came up with the company because he's the one who's got the passion. He's the guy that has the fire almost almost all the time. He's the one. He's the one who has it. And he may have 20 guys working for him as underlings. And all these guys think they know. Okay, all these guys think they know what the heck they're doing and they... You know, hey, I'm executive vice president, and I'm vice president of marketing, and, and you're doing marketing, so I know what to tell you to do, and it goes on and on like that. But really, the truth of the matter is, there's no one better than the proprietor. There's no one better than the creator. That's the guy I love to talk to first. Is it because you want to capture his passion, his oh. words, and, and translate that into the letter, Nicole? Absolutely. You nailed it on the head. That's exactly what my intention is. Because there will be no one in the company with his kind of fire. And fire is what sells product. You bet. <laughs> you bet. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig for testimonials. And trust me, it's usually a dig. Why do you say that? Most companies just don't have them. If they do, they've got a few really, really generalized quotes. They don't talk any specifics, like specific benefits. For a testimonial for me, for example, for my Ad Magic product, would be before we've got your product, we were pulling 3% response, and now we've been using uh, Ad Magic and we're getting consistent eight and a half, eight point three two five percent, you know, specifics to me. Most companies don't have specific results oriented testimonials. That's the next thing. If I'm loaded with great testimonials and a risk free proposition guarantee, in other words, I can sell anything. Please continue to part five. Here's a tip. If you're listening to these audio recordings in MP3, here's a way where you can listen through the content twice as fast and still be able to absorb all the information. What you want to do is you want to go to a website and download a free trial of goldwave.com, G-O-L-D-W-A-V-E.com. Now, this is an audio file editor, and one of the features on this editor is it allows you to play the audio recordings at any speed you want. 
so you can have it speed up to where it sounds like you're listening to the uh, the chipmunks where their voices are real high. But I do a lot of editing of audio recordings, and I find when I'm doing the editing, you're still able to listen to audio content about twice the speed of normal language. And it takes a little bit of practice, but you can fly through audio content. So if you like to learn by audio and you want to listen to content and you don't mind listening to the different high, higher pitch voice, it's a very effective way of getting through content twice as fast.